Hi, this is Nathan. My passion is to provide Christ-centered Bible teaching and resources that glorifies God and will encourage and equip you to grow spiritually and live a Christ-centered life. If you would like more resources to help you understand the Word of God and cultivate a passionate love for Jesus that turns the world upside down, please visit deeperchristian.com. Now, grab your Bible as we dive into this message from God's Word. Well, Philippians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Again, we're walking through this section from uh, verse 4 down to verse 9, looking at uh, the mind of a a Christian. And again, I know we've been reading through it, but uh, you know, it's been a few days since we've gone through this and you've forgotten. So let me just read through verses 4 down to verse 9 just so it's fresh uh, in all of our minds. This is what Paul says, Philippians chapter 4, uh, starting with verse 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, over the last uh, two times together, we've been walking through, just kind of doing a review uh, of everything we've covered up to this point, which is verses 4 down through verse 7. And uh, again, we're not going to spend much time here, but again, Paul says to rejoice, that, that joy is to be the undercurrent, the tone of your life as a Christian. Again, it's not based on circumstance, it's not based on what's going on around you, but you are called to have joy every moment of your life. So tell your faces. Uh, verse 5, Paul talks about this idea of gentleness, uh, that I, I'm not going to demand my own rights. I'm not going to demand justice. I'm not, I'm not going to hold an offense. I'm actually going to bypass and overlook that and extend mercy and love and grace and kindness to the individual rather than demand what I want, rather than demand uh, my justice, rather than demand my rights, rather than, again, hold tight to that offense. And, and in, in short, it's actually I'm responding as Jesus in every situation. And how is that even possible? Oh, he tells us the Lord is near. Not just that he's coming soon, but he's pressing in upon us that, that, that we have his very presence via the Holy Spirit. And as such, we can actually live out and have the mind that we are called to live. Uh, last time we looked at verse 6, this idea that, that nothing in your life is to produce anxiety or worry or fear or foreboding or trepidation or any of that kind of stuff. Rather, what if everything in your life that used to produce this would only drive you into a greater intimacy in a relationship with Jesus. So rather than producing fear, rather than producing worry, what if the circumstances of your life, same situations, same problems, same family members, same bank account numbers, but what if, what if all this stuff, instead of causing the fear, would drive you into a greater reality with Jesus? In this idea of prayer and thanksgiving and, and intimacy. Uh, And then we concluded last time looking at verse 7, talking about this idea of the peace of God, 
which goes far beyond anything you can comprehend. This goes far beyond your own wildest imaginations. But what if that peace of God, which is not a feeling, uh, the peace of God is not an emotion, the peace of God is not something he hands you, the peace of God is a person whose name is Jesus. And what if that person would literally guard, be that sentinel of your soul and guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus? That, that he becomes that which is guarding your heart and mind. Uh, which brings us into verse 8. Woo! Now, we're going to be spinning, I think, the next... What are we on? This is, this is session 3. So I think we're spending uh, the next 10 sessions looking at verse 8. It's going to be powerful. Don't be intimidated. <laughs> I should be the one that's intimidated. Mercy. Uh, but look at verse 8 again. Look at what Paul says. He says, finally, which you know, that's just preacher talk, which means nothing. But finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Isn't it interesting that Paul begins each of those statements with the word whatever? I don't know what you think of when you hear the word whatever. I think of a junior high school girl. <laughs> whatever. Right? Which I didn't even say it correctly, but I'm not a junior high girl. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> but doesn't it sound like something that some little, little girl would just flip out and just like, whatever. Right? It's interesting that though it sounds like a rather measly, flippant little word that we just kind of throw around, do you realize that this little word that has eight letters actually boasts a rather powerful declaration. Uh, it's interesting that the word whatever, at least in this context, has this idea of lacking restriction. Uh, you come to this list, and, and it's interesting, Paul is talking about the beauty of the boundaries that your mind is supposed to stay in. That, that there's these boundaries, and it's actually beautiful. And that, in fact, we need boundaries. And yet the word whatever actually is not a limitation in, in, a, in a real sense. Whatever is a freedom statement. Does that make any sense to you? Uh, for, for example, uh, I come up to you and I say, hey, uh, what is your decision about this particular matter? And before you give me your response, I just want you to know that whatever you decide, I support you. Meaning what? I just gave you full freedom to make the decision. That, that anything is possible in this. That, that there's a full openness with this idea of whatever. Uh, we decide to go, go to a restaurant and grab some food. And I say, hey, where do you want to go? Whatever you want to Hey, wherever you want to go, whatever you, whatever you, hey, I'm all, I'm all in. And so you're like, well, what about this? And I'm like, ah, no, not that one. Then it really wasn't whatever. Because whatever, the, the idea or the presumption in the whatever is that there's freedom in the decision. So whatever you want to decide about your food choice, hey, I, I, I'll eat it too. Unless it's McDonald's. Okay? So does that make sense though? So whatever is not a confining term, it's actually a freeing term. So you got to get this. Paul is not giving us a list of don't think anything. And he is setting up some boundaries, but isn't it interesting? The boundaries that he's given you is not to limit you. It is actually to free you. 
which should make sense to you. We need boundaries. And again, there's this idea of there's beauty in boundaries. Uh, there, it's been reported that uh, the elementary schools that have no fences around the elementary school, do you know what the little kids do at recess? It, it is, they've done all these studies. It's interesting. The kids who have no fences on their playground actually stay really close to the building when they play. But the moment that they put a fence around the area, suddenly there is freedom in the boundary to go all over that area. Does that make any sense to you? That somehow the boundary creates freedom. A boundary doesn't limit. A boundary actually gives you freedom to operate within the boundary. So when Paul comes and says, hey, you are to think on these things, and you're like, oh, man, you're telling me that there's a boundary of what my mind is supposed to stay in? This is not a, uh, this is not an old bummer. This isn't a constraint as much as it is, oh, there's freedom. Have you ever danced? And I'm, not, I'm not talking like modern dance. I'm talking like ballroom, you know, like classic stuff. If you've ever done classical dance, it's interesting there are boundaries. And there are certain techniques and there are certain things, depending on the dance, that you have to follow. But isn't it interesting that it is in the middle of the boundaries that you find tremendous freedom? And you can do whatever you want in the boundaries. And it actually creates a beautiful dance. How? Because of boundaries. We need boundaries. Uh, even even as, uh, as little kids, as we're growing up, you realize that if our parents have no boundaries, it actually does something to the psyche of a kid. That that kids need and desire, even though they tell you they don't, that we actually long for boundaries. So you cannot come into the passage with this outlook of like, oh, bummer, You're, I, there's restriction, oh, there's limitation, oh, there's a, you can't have that thought process. You should be coming to the passage going, whoa, I have freedom. I actually have, oh, because he's given me boundaries. So is it true there's a limitation? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Why? Because he's telling you what the boundaries are in the passage. Think on these things. This becomes the boundary for your mind. But what he's really given you is freedom. That you don't have to think about all the junk. That you actually don't have to think about all the doom and the gloom. That, that you don't have to live in the worry and the fear and the trepidation. That you don't have to live in the muck and the mire of culture. You, you don't have to think that stuff. That is freeing. Isn't it? How it says you come, come into the passage again in verse 8, which we're just going to be meditating upon and thinking upon, pun intended, over the next weeks. But do you realize that the beauty of a godly life and mind, that, that, the, that the beauty of this whole thing is found in allowing your mind to think and meditate within a set of boundaries? That you find the life, you find the beauty of the Christian life in the midst of the boundaries that he's given you. Because that's where the freedom is found. So you, you look at the list and he says, okay, here are the boundaries. He's setting up some posts, uh, the fences for your mind. And we're going to be walking through each of these in the course of the next few weeks, but he says whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, commendable, <clears throat> excellent, worthy of praise. Uh, think about your mind over the last 24 hours. 
or so. Would this passage define your thought life? Or would you have to say, well, my mind's been full of despair. My, my mind has been full of depression. My mind has been full of worry. My, my mind has been full of lust. My mind has been full of... In other words, has your mind actually been living within the boundaries that Paul says a godly mind stays within? Or has your mind been all over the place? And is it possible for God to take your mind and bring it in subjection to Jesus Christ to the point that it begins to have the freedom of being in the boundaries. Maybe not even is it possible. Do you even want it? Maybe it's a better question. At the very end of the passage, it's interesting that Paul uses the word, think about these things. Uh, the word there, think, it sometimes is translated, meditate upon these things. Uh, some translations say, dwell upon these things. Uh, but the word is actually a word you guys know very well. It's logizomai, which is the word that is used in Romans chapter 6 for reckon. So Paul is saying, hey, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy, reckon these things in your life, in your mind. Hold these things fast in your mind. And again, just for a second definition, that word means to count, to consider, to reckon, to reason about, to reflect upon, to ponder, think about, let your mind dwell upon, give careful thought to the matter, to take into account, right? It's an accounting term. So even if you are looking at your life going, well, my, my mind is rather out of the boundaries at the moment, do you realize you can actually live in this? Why? By submitting your mind under the Lord Jesus Christ and then reckoning it. Putting up, letting him put up the guard posts of your mind and, and saying, I, I am going to turn my gaze upon this direction and I'm going to dwell and I'm going to think and I'm going to ponder and every time the thought comes into my mind that doesn't belong, I'm kicking this thing out and I'm going to allow him to begin to guard my heart and my mind. Does that make any sense to you? And just as we reckon the, the death and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in us, Romans chapter 6, so too, what if we begin to reckon the reality of the mind of Christ within us and begin to say, Lord, I, I, my mind's all over the place, but I need you and I need your mind. And so though I don't have it fully, Lord, I repent of what I have been pondering and <clears throat> Lord, I set my mind in your hands. <clears throat> Excuse me. And from this point forward, Lord, I am going to reckon this to be true that I'm going to begin to take steps forward as if this thing is, in fact, true in my life. And I'm going to begin to help guard this thing. You realize that your mind will dwell upon something? That your mind is constantly thinking and dwelling and pondering something? If you're alive. So most of us, I believe, have something dwelling in our mind. Some of you, I'm noticing, are actually paying attention. Some of you, I've, I'm noticing, are already back in bed. Not literally, but you are dwelling upon it. Bless the Lord. What if you would allow your mind to dwell upon the things of Jesus? Uh, I, I was looking some stuff up for this verse, and I, I came across a great quote. Let me just give you the concept <clears throat> this, the scholar said it this way. He says, this is something of utmost importance because it is the law of life that if we think of something often enough, 
we will come to a stage which we cannot stop thinking about it. Isn't that interesting? That the more you think about something, it it creates these grooves in your brain that allows you to quickly think that direction. And that, that should be easy for you to ponder because think about anything that you think about often. You'll notice that you've created grooves in your mind to quickly get you there. So if your mind is constantly full of lust, guess what you've done in your life? You've created these grooves, and because you've dwelt on lust for so long, you just quickly get to it. Uh, If you're all about money, guess what your mind often goes to? You see everything in the lens of money. Hey, if if you're all about yourself and you're self-centered and it's all about the pride thing, do you realize it's not very hard to think about yourself? Wouldn't it be phenomenal if your mind was that way with Jesus? That you so set your mind on, on Jesus Christ that, that it, wasn't a, it wasn't an effort to get your mind on Jesus. It's just that was the natural turn in your mind. That there are such grooves worn in your mind about Jesus that it was just the natural. You wake up in the morning, oh, I love Jesus. You're driving down the road, oh, I love Jesus. You're eating green beans. Woo, Jesus, don't you love green beans? I love green beans. These are awesome green beans. See, see what if everything just caused your mind to be set upon Jesus? By the way, do you know what we call people who live like this? Hey, you've met some of them. Yeah, we call them Christians. Wouldn't it be neat if the default for your brain was Jesus? Why? Because you've trained your mind in such a way that that was the constant thing you were thinking about. And so when we're talking about putting your mind and dwelling and thinking and reckoning, yeah, there's some effort perhaps at the beginning, but what if you were so pressing into the reality of having the mind of Jesus that this became your default? Don't you want that? Okay, I do. Uh, In light of this whole passage, verse 8, this whole finally whatever passage, you do realize that the culture and the world today is attempting to do the very thing that Paul is telling you to do but in two, two different directions. The world is trying to fill your mind with doom and gloom and dread and death and just despair. Uh, all you got to do is turn on the news. And what do you hear? Oh, no! Oh, look at what's happening! Ah, bad news! Doom and gloom, dread, despair, death. I mean, just it's... And the world is trying to push this stuff in your mind. And it's trying to cause you to think on those things. Paul comes along and says, oh, there's another option. Don't you just want to ponder Jesus all the time? Wouldn't you just want to let your mind just dwell upon him? Uh, let me give you a couple of passages that may help you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, uh, Hesed, for those of you who have walked through that, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't allow the world to press you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Wouldn't it be amazing if if we were not just being pressed into the mold of the world with all the doom and the gloom and the dread and the death and and the despair, but rather we were being transformed. It's that word metamorphosis, that we were being literally changed from like a caterpillar into a butterfly into the reality with the mind of Christ. 
is phenomenal. The fact that it's even available is phenomenal. Uh, Psalm 119. I love Psalm 119. Uh, which we forgot about. We, 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 forgot, we forgot to talk about that last night. But, but Psalm 119. Uh, you get into verse 9, and verse 9 asks a rather important question. The question is, Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? It's a great question, isn't it? In a world that's trying to push every form of corruption and every form of impurity and every form of twistedness, how can a young man or woman keep their way pure? And the psalmist answers by saying, by living, by walking, coming into accord with your word. So how on earth are we going to keep our lives pure? By living according to this book. And then it's not by accident that in verse 11, the psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. See, if if you want to keep your way pure and, and you want to have a life of righteousness, then you've got to bring your life under the authority of this book. Well, how on earth am I going to do that? You've got to have this book written in your heart. I find it interesting that there's a connection between that Psalm 119 idea and the Romans 12 idea. How are you going to transform your mind? How are you going to renew your mind? Well, the only way I know how to do that is by you getting into the word and that word getting inside of you and that word beginning to transform your life. And it's amazing that as you begin to get into the word and as you begin to memorize it and begin to write this thing upon your heart, which is very different than writing this upon your mind. Do you understand that? Uh, You can memorize this and you can know it intellectually. That's different than it being written on your heart. Isn't it interesting that people with Alzheimer's can forget everything? They can forget faces. They can forget, you know, they, 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 they forget all these things. And yet a lot of them know the old hymns. They have all these scriptures memorized. How is that possible? Because it wasn't written on their mind it was written on their hearts. A few months ago, I was down in El Paso uh, with some of the people in this group. And uh, we were driving, and a couple of the people were talking about the fact that they, they knew this guy who had gotten into a severe car accident, lost his memory. And the only thing that he remembered during that entire time when he's in that memory loss stage was Scripture. He couldn't remember his wife, couldn't remember the kids. He, he couldn't remember anything, but he, he had scripture. And finally, after a whole bunch of, after God was healing and, and bringing about restoration, they, they were asking, they're like, why, why is it that you couldn't remember anything except scripture? And this was so, this was such a new thought to me. This was so profound. He said, it's interesting. If all I ever do is take the word of God and, and just plant it in my brain, well, then what happens when your brain goes what happens when you get Alzheimer's? What, what happens if you get in an accident? He says, but if you would take the word and write it into the depths of your heart, in, in the soul of your being, he goes, your body may waste away, but that, that remains. Why? Because it was written in a far deeper place. And I was like, that is incredible. That's an incredible thought. That when I memorize, I don't want to just memorize here. I want to memorize here. And if, for, God forbid, if for some reason my mind goes, which I know for some of you don't think that's too far, but if my mind goes, I want to still have this 
here. And so I think it's interesting, how are we going to walk in righteousness and holiness and how are we actually going to live out the Christian life like we're called to? Well, Psalm 119 says you've got to be in the book. This needs to be written in your life. Romans 12, that that there's this transformation of your mind. And you realize the mind, according to this culture, isn't just your brain. It's not just your thoughts. It it includes your attitude and it includes your emotions and, and it includes the very essence of who you are. So in one sense, if you want to talk about it, it's like the internal parts, the inner, it's the inner self. It's the, the soul depth of who you are. So think about this. Paul is looking at you saying, oh, there's boundaries for your life. Well, what are the boundaries? Isn't it interesting that every single one of these things in this passage ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus? Do you know what the boundary for your life is? Jesus. And the beauty of the boundary in your life is not trying to follow a list of rules. The beauty of the boundary in your life is the person Jesus. Well, what can I think about? Whatever Jesus wants to think about. Well, what can I do in my life? Jesus stuff. Well, can I play sports? I don't know. Is it going to distract you from Jesus? I can play sports and I'm totally fine. It does not distract me from Jesus. But I do know some people... If they play sports, they are distracted because they're all consumed. But wouldn't it be interesting if the boundary and the guidelines for what I choose to watch, what I choose to say, what I choose to read, what I choose to wear, what, what I choose to, the activities of my life, what if the boundaries of my life was actually Jesus? Wouldn't that change something in your life? We're not, he's not given a list of rules. And hey, we've grown up in a culture of do this, do this, don't 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 do this. And we presume we have to live by a checklist. What if there wasn't a checklist? What if this was all about a person? Does that make any sense to you? Which means there are good things that some of us can't do. Why? Because it pulls us. I don't know if that makes any sense. Uh, Is there anything wrong with watching a movie? No. It depends on the movie. There's nothing wrong with watching a Little House on the Prairie episode. Finding Nemo is not evil. Finding Dory, maybe, but not. (laughs) But Nemo's totally cool. He's fine. But wouldn't it be interesting if the determining factor of what I watched, it wasn't, no movies! It was, Jesus, is there something I could watch that pulls me into, that doesn't detract me from you and maybe instead even pulls me into greater intimacy with you? Is it wrong to read books? No, it's not wrong to read books. But what if the determination of what I read was determined not by a list of, but it was determined by an intimacy thing. What if the activities of my life wasn't based on, well, does it fit in a quadrant? What if the activities of my life was based on, and if Jesus wasn't doing it, why why would I want to waste my time? By the way, Jesus loves disc golf. (laughs) 
And you could be like, no, Jesus does not like disc golf. But hey, in my life, that's actually one of the ways that I, I, I'm rejuvenated, I'm, I'm refreshed, and I have great fellowship with people, and I have great intimacy with Jesus when we play disc golf. So I'll play disc golf. Now, disc golf can become a distraction. Do you see the tension in all this? But is there anything wrong with playing disc golf? No. Now, if it becomes an obsession and, I, and it gets in front of Jesus, that's a problem. Why? Because I've now stepped out of the boundary. And so the problem with this passage is, well, can I talk about the weather? I don't see weather on this list. Can we talk sports? Because sports is definitely not on that list. What if it wasn't a, what if it was a, what if this wasn't checklist stuff? What if this was all about person, intimacy, relationship? Can I ask you, how's your mind? What's your thought process like? What are you dwelling upon? One of the illustrations we often give around here is this idea that when it comes to the mind, it's like there's these three quadrants. Uh, you, have a, you have the door where things will knock and see if they can get into your mind. Most of us have a door that's either off the hinges or it's just wide open. And it's like we're just inviting anything and everything. Hey, come on in. Hang out. And so anything presents itself to your mind and you just let it in. So temptation knocks and you're like, sure, come on in. Lust knocks, sure, come on in. Fear knocks, sure, come on in. Jealousy knocks, woo, come on in. Gossip knocks, hey, let's talk. And you just, because you have an open door, you allow everything in. As a Christian, your door is not to be open. It is to be sealed. It is to be guarded. Well, what, what is allowed in? Whatever he allows in. He's the one guarding your heart and your mind. So something knocks at your door, and the determining factor of whether it's allowed in or not allowed in is, does it smell like Jesus? Does it look like Jesus? And if it doesn't, kick it out. Don't let it in your house. Does that make sense? So that's, that's like the door. Then you have what we would call like the active thoughts. So everyone at this moment has an active thought. Hopefully, it's about Philippians. But some of you are thinking about breakfast, how you miss breakfast. Some of you are thinking about how great it'll be for a nap this afternoon, right? Some of you are pondering just napping now. Some of you already are napping now. I mean, there's active thoughts, right? You're, you're pondering something. The moment that you have an open door and that gets into your active thoughts, do you realize that's what you're dwelling upon? Now, there's one more little category, which is what we've often called the pantry or the storehouse. And it's, it's like your subconscious or it's your reservoir. It's what holds the memories. Do you realize that as things are in your active thoughts, it slowly is getting put on shelves in your pantry or in your storage unit? For a lot of us, we've spent so much time with the gloom and the doom and the muck and the perverse and the impure stuff in our active thoughts that our whole pantry is full of darkness. And again, we've created these grooves in our mind, which means it's actually not that hard in our active thoughts that we could be thinking about something even good and godly and something from our storage or our pantry 
suddenly is triggered and suddenly it becomes in your active thoughts. Haven't you experienced that? And you're like, where did that come from? I haven't even thought of that for years. Well, because it's in your pantry. As a Christian, can I encourage you? Keep the door shut. What's allowed in? Whatever's on this list. And by the way, again, it's not about a list. It's about a person. And as we walk through each of these in the upcoming sessions, you realize that every single one of them finds its fulfillment in Jesus because he is that which is true. He is that which is pure. He is that which is honorable. He is that which is excellent and praiseworthy. So Jesus, again, has to be the guard, the boundary for what comes into your mind. But is it possible for the life, the blood of Jesus to so go into your pantry and cleanse your heart and your mind that all the junk and all the filth and all the perverse stuff that you've allowed into your pantry would actually be transformed? Do you know that's even possible? Wouldn't it be amazing as we're walking through this concept of keeping a boundary for your mind, it wouldn't just be for your active thoughts. It would actually be what is allowed to remain in your pantry. And the only thing that's allowed in your pantry is that which is on this list. And wouldn't it be amazing if if God could come in through the power of the Holy Spirit because of what he's already done on the cross and actually transform the depth of your mind? that the pantry, the storage unit of your mind becomes renewed and restored and transformed. And I don't know if that means you'll ne- you would never be able to pull an old thought up. It's like if you really thought really hard, can you pull up the old junk? But why would you want to? Do you realize that the blood of Christ is efficacious? It is effective. It, it is sufficient for cleansing your storehouse of the mind. That he can so purify, he can so renew, and he can so kick out all the junk in the darkness that what is left is what's on this list. Yeah, but what about that time where that thing happened and the he can deal with that? Would you let him at it? How's your mind? How's your active thoughts been lately? Are they all over the place? Or would you say, wow, if you could get into my mind, you would see a Christian Or would you have to say, if you got into my mind, I'd be concerned you thought I wasn't a Christian. If that's true, would you allow Jesus to do something? Would you be willing to come at the foot of the cross afresh and say, Lord, here's my mind. And don't just deal with my brain, my thoughts. Would you deal with my heart, my emotions, my will, my affections, the passions of my life? Lord, I surrender it all fresh to you. Lord, don't just take what's been going on in my active thoughts over the last week. Lord, could you go into the very depths of my being, into the very depths of my soul, into the very depths of my storehouse of my mind, and would you through even in the subconscious, would you remove all the junk and the darkness and the pollution that I've allowed in? Lord, from this point forward, I'm locking the door, and you're going to have to help me guard this thing. Because the promise is, in verse 7, that he is going to guard your heart and your mind. That he, that peace, is going to be the, the guard. So, Lord, we're going to close this door. We're going, to, we're going to put it back on the hinges, and we're going to lock this thing. But, Lord, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to guard this. And, Lord, when things knock on my door, and I'm just so used to saying, Hey, welcome. Hey, would you, would you through your spirit, begin to say, 
Not that one. Kick it out. In my authority, kick it out. And not allow it in your active thoughts. I understand this is not going to be instantaneous. There's a process. And there is a sanctifying process where he's going into deeper and deeper parts of your storehouse, your subconscious, your, your mind, your thoughts, your will, your emotion stuff. And he's, he's going to be cleansing and rooting the stuff out. But would you let him add it? Most of us just think, well, that's just how I am. And hey, that's my past. And I guess I'm just going to have to live in the dwelling of it. What if he could change that? What if he could transform that? What if he could renew this? Don't you need this? Let's pray. Lord, what if you were the boundary for my mind? How, what, what if you were the, the guard upon my soul? And Lord, what, what if the list that Paul has given us is not a, it's not so much a constriction, it's not so much a limitation as, it is, as he's given us freedom. Lord, I don't have to worry. I don't have to live in fear. I, I don't have to dwell upon lust. I don't have to be consumed by gossip and greed. Lord, I don't have to have a self-focus. Lord, I can live in life. I can dwell upon Jesus. I can, I can ponder you. I can just delight myself in you all day long. So, Lord, would you be the boundary for my life? Would you, would you set the guard upon my soul? Lord, for those of us who have left a door open, Lord, through, through your spirit, would you, would, you, would you close this thing? Would you guard that which is trying to enter into our minds, our, our active thoughts? Lord, for those of us who, who've had a bunch of junk this last week, even this last 24 hours in our active thoughts, and Lord, would you not only cleanse and purify our active thoughts, but Lord, I pray that you would even put up the boundary so that the only thing our mind is dwelling upon is that which is on this list which ultimately is you. And Lord, I know for so many of us, there's, there's so much darkness and impurity and corruption in our storehouse and in the depth of our being and in our past and our memories and our subconscious. Lord, would you deal with even that? Lord, your blood is effective. The work that you did upon the cross is enough to change even that. So, Lord, we just, we just come humbly before you today at the foot of the cross and just say, Jesus, take our lives and let it be fully, wholly consecrated. Lord, we surrender all. But, Lord, would you, would you take our past, would you take our minds, would you take our wills and our emotions and our affections, and will you do such a transforming work within them, in them that all the darkness and all the doom and all the impurity and, and all the twistedness and, and all the corruption and Lord, all that is dark would be made new, would be renewed. It would be so covered that it would be fully forgotten. And even if we tried, yeah, maybe it could come up, but, but Lord, there's no desire for it. So would you just so cover it with your blood that we can't ever find it again? Lord, may we have the mind of a Christian. Which means we need you, Jesus. Oh, we need you. We do love you. Thank you for the possibility of having a mind that is steadfast upon you. And Lord, we just want to worship you this morning. We just want to give you praise and glory and honor for you are worthy. We love you, Jesus. We just give you all the praise. In your precious name we pray.
Amen.